Hello, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Podcast. These are recordings from a kind of Tau talk that we have over at the Discord community site, Tau40,000. My name is Calmsword, and I will be your host uh, for this episode. I am joined by my friends Cosmonaut Kane, Way of the Shortblade Enthusiast, Biotic, Steady Stone, Pickled, Starkiller, and a few others who pop in during the recording. Redrix3 is my co-host, and uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about the origins of the Tau, both on uh, kind of like a like a, a product understanding when they came out back in 2001, and then moving through some of the design elements that have uh, trickled down over the years. Um, it's an exciting episode, uh, and if I just do so, so myself, uh, it is the beginning of an effort to really have a three-dimensional understanding of Tau lore. Uh, there's a lot of videos out there, um, a lot of creators who have perhaps a negative opinion of the Tau, and we don't, and we'd like to share uh, the canonical sources that show that this is a really fascinating race uh, for all hobbyists and enthusiasts of the Warhammer 40,000 universe to get behind and uh, get excited about. So um, without much further ado, this is a recording, um, a discussion, a little bit like a TED Talk, if you will, or a Tau Talk, uh, as we call them on Discord, um, and I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Okay, so in the previous uh, in the previous episodes, we've been talking uh, a little bit about um, Tau aliens, the relationships that Tau have. But uh, I think for a good official first episode, we should start with the Tau. So the Tau came about, um, you know, in the early two thousands. Um, they were, they were originally supposed to be this uh, this other uh, species, kind of a lizard species uh, that eventually uh, would be, would be like mercenaries. They would use everybody's technology. But then that I guess that get, get gained some steam, and uh, and in around two thousand one, uh, they really came into their their own uh, as a faction. They're they're deliberately supposed to be outliers to the rest of the forty k universe. Um, they use a lot of diplomacy, for example. They're innovative. They're inclusive. And uh, and when when I first started getting involved with Warhammer 40k, they were the reason why they were the reason why I got excited about this game. So <clears throat> ever since then, um, I have been involved in the development uh, of their of their language from like a, a fan perspective. But um, over the years, um, a couple words have been adopted, and, and, and more and more often I see, I see lots of that early seeded work uh, get, get used um, in official capacity, which makes me super, you know, super excited um, that talks like this and communities like this are able to influence a faction um, in, in a sci-fi universe, which, which we see in Star Wars and Star Trek and things like that. So it's not, it's not uncommon, but it's talks like this that... Um, that I really, I, I really think that there's a value for the community. Um, okay, so so the best place to really start talking about the Tau um, is in their early history. It's unlike humanity in 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 40k, where we we you know things are kind of steeped in mystery. You've got the you know, men of gold, the men of iron, the men of stone, and 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 the the Eldar early war in heaven against the Necrons. You know things like that. Everything is very mysterious. But for the Tau, the Tau things are a little bit. A little bit more obvious. 
Um, we don't know uh, what their early history is like um, in terms of like their 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 primordial state. Um, but we what we do know, as with a lot of things in in Warhammer 40k, is from the Imperial perspective. And Tau itself, um, a planet that is found on the eastern fringe, uh, was discovered in Millennium 35 by an exploratory fleet called Land's Vision. Um, so what is an, ex an exploratory fleet? Um, during this time in, in the Imperium, the, the human race was coming off of uh, an enormous uh, period of warfare with, against the, the orcs which is called the War of the Beast. In Millennium 34 or 35, you have an attempt to kind of start expanding and pushing the Imperial borders. Uh, as a result, you get a lot of these exploratory fleets which are looking for planets to colonize. Uh, now, the Adeptus Mechanicus, uh, of which uh, we, you know, they, they deserve their own show, are kind of, uh, they, they both find planets for the Imperium of Mankind and humanity to colonize just as much as they uh, find places that can be turned into resource planets for their forge worlds. Um, we d frankly, we, we don't know, and we'll likely never know, what the uh, fleet was intending for this planet because they are lost in the subsequent years uh, of Millennium 35 when, when natural warp storms were kind of ravaging the galaxy. So, But this represents the first contact scenario between humanity and the Tau. What we know is largely what that exploratory fleet discovered, and that's where we'll begin this talk today. So the Tau are a race of bipedal sentients that have, by all indications, seem to have uh, naturally evolved from a bovid or uh, some kind of undulate species. Um, so that, that could be uh, regarded as like um, some kind of cattle, uh, buffalo, goats, things like that. Um, their civilization has been in existence for about 6,000 years and has expanded to throughout a region of space which is a stellar cluster. Um, a stellar cluster is a concentration of stars, and this one in particular is about 300 light years in diameter. It is noted by the explorators uh, that found the region, the, the region um, to have a, an unusually high number of habitable planets. Uh, as well as uh, as well as a, a wide variety of species, this could be for all sorts of reasons. My supposition is that this is probably because uh, the Imperium of Mankind has a kind of a no tolerance policy for aliens, and wherever wherever that early crusade of the emperors went, they just kind of wiped everything out systematically and 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 kind of casually. Um, the Eastern Fringe is notably different because it really represents the border, uh, not a hard border, but a soft border between the last worlds that were colonized by the early Imperium of Mankind, as well as the proto-Imperial uh, Age of Stone men um, that reached those areas to colonize. So, so most likely the reason why there's so much life, and, and you know, you see that in the form of the uh, Anthrazods, uh, the Brachura, the the Krut themselves, and the Tau is probably because they they never had any interact. This region didn't have that much interaction with with human civilization. So the Tau themselves evolved on a world uh, that is arid. Um, it's regarded as having a single uh, contiguous landmass, uh, kind of like a supercontinent, shallow oceans, uh, mountain ranges, um, as well as uh, rivers and streams that kind of crisscross the, the, the planet's surface. 
it's regarded as having great savannas, so a little bit like Africa, um, as well as steppe re regions once you get kind of toward the, the colder northern and southern hemispheres. Uh, there are also minor de desert regions, but by and large, the planet could be regarded as arid. The planet has multiple moons, um, the largest being Luval, um, which will in the future become the first interplanetary holdings of, the, of, this, uh, of this species. And when the explorators arrive, um, they discover that uh, the planet is within human tolerances, if just a little bit hotter. The Tau themselves, at this point, were diversified into kind of three to four major subgroups. There were Tau living on the savannas, there were Tau that had started settling in the uh, river valley regions, as well as the mountains. This is important because because of these observations, we can kind of see the proto-caste uh, system here. And, uh, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the Tau have uh, several noteworthy racial traits um, that make them very different from, from humanity. First and foremost is uh, they are predominantly hairless and, uh, and their skin is regarded as very leathery and, and, and retains moisture uh, incredibly. So they don't, they don't really, they don't really uh, sweat, as it were. They, uh, they, they do have hair, of, uh, which kind of just sits uh, behind a very high forehead. Um, this hair in modern times is usually shaved uh, by their, war for example, by their warrior caste um, and kept into braids or locks. But, uh, but they do have full heads of hair. Uh, they are said to have uh, a kind of odor, um, which humans find slightly sour or, or, or in, in regards to uh, the recent Lieber xenologist, the writer of that book, uh, who is a rogue trader, says that he is reminded of, uh, of, of like cattle. Um, they have they have kind of like a like a dirt smell to them. While space marines uh, regard their blood, because space marines predominantly killed Tau, uh, regarded as uh, smelling a little bit like off milk or a sour smell. Their blood itself, um, as well as their organs, uh, depending on, and this is a this is a topic a, a big topic within the community. Um, but re regarding most canonical considerations, uh, it is cyan or blue, uh, or a dark blue to to purple. Um, although I, I will say here that that some people will just say that their blood is red. Me personally, I like the idea that their blood is blue helps them helps them be more alien. So Tau eyesight uh, is 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 kind of the, the next thing to really consider. It is adapted to long distance um, as well as uh, nighttime. They, they see deeper into the infrared and they are regarded as having a slower dilation uh, in their eyes so they can't actually track movement as much, let's say in, in comparison to humans. All of these comparisons, I think it's, it's simple to say, is too based on, uh, against humanity. So they see better in the dark, they perceive deeper uh, spectrums in the infrared uh, so they detect heat a little bit better. Um, their hearing is in the upper frequencies, uh, which has led them to, uh, in their music, of which we know only a little bit about, uh, uh, uses predominantly like cymbals and uh, and lutes. They they like higher uh, higher frequency music. Uh, a big a big thing to consider is uh, that nasal slit that's at the front of their head. Um, this um, so they don't use this nasal slit for uh, smelling things. Their olfactory uh, organs are actually in their mouths, and it is it is noted that they have a much much more sensitive uh, sense of smell uh, and taste than than human beings. Um, the the nasal slit uh, it's assumed that it's used for breathing, 
um, but it's uh, it seems like its main the, the, the main reason why it exists is to denote gender, where the uh, the males have kind of an uppercase I, uh, and the females have a, an uppercase Y. Um, you can see this most obviously in the uh, Shadow Sun model, as well as one of the heads um, that you can get um, in the Tau Fire Warrior box. So I for males, Y for females. The backs of the Tau have uh, something called Tzitzel scales. Um, and what's interesting about this is that this is actually, in, 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 in terms of modern technology, uh, the uh, needle, the, the, the connection needle between a battlesuit and its pilot involves piercing the upper length of the spine uh, uh, where the tzitzel scales are. We're not clear as to what these do, um, but, but they are regarded as being incredibly sensitive. And in a weird, in descriptions uh, where it comes up in books such as Fire Warrior, it seems like this is where the Tau have kind of like a, a sixth danger sense. So in the same way that human beings have like, uh, you know, you get goose flesh, or uh, the backs of your, you know, the, the the hair on the back of your neck stands up when you're, you know, when when you're when you feel like you're in danger. It seems like this is synonymous. It, it does the same kind of thing. It should be noted uh, that, uh, and this is this is probably the most unusual thing about the Tau, um, that they uh, they have a, a extremely let's call it um, lightweight souls. Um, so in so something to understand in Warhammer forty thousand. In the universe itself, is that all biological life has some kind of relationship to the warp, um, and humanity. If humanity is kind of like the bar, um, human beings, um, not not psychers, just regular human beings, have a soul that is uh, that can be kind of measured as like a candlelight. This this soul is an inherent relationship, a symbiotic relationship. Uh, between the dimension that we'll call real space and the sub-dimension that we'll call warp space. Its interaction between the two results in things like dreams. Now, obviously, in, in the real world, we know that dreams are something else, but in 40, 40K, these dreams uh, come from the warp influencing you just as much as your thought processes are influence, influencing the warp. So when you think of demons, for example, demons are can very literally be translated into the dreams and nightmares of of sentient life in in the galaxy. So, a thing about the Tau is that they don't dream. Um, there's over there's only ever been one recorded case of the uh, of a Tau that could dream, um, and his name was Commander Eclipse or Twin Eclipse, excuse me, uh, and uh, and he died at the Battle of Medusa Five. Um, but, but other, other than him, um, Tau have extremely short sleep cycles. They sleep about two to three hours, um, of which, uh, they don't, they don't experience any kind of dreamscape. So that is, that's something really good to note, um, when thinking about your own lore and thinking about lore, lore in general for the Tau is that they, the, the, the concepts of like abstract uh, symbolism that, that that human beings draw out of dreams, the Tau just don't have that, and perhaps this 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 leads a little bit more to their their more pragmatic view. Um, who knows? Uh, that's a that's a hypothesis. Um, but the Tau do have souls. It's not like they're they're blanks, and this is something that sometimes gets a little bit muddied. Um, in in 40k, a being that doesn't have a soul. Uh, is called a null or a blank. 
um, and they actually have a negative effect on the relationships uh, that that regular uh, beings have with the warp. Uh, they they kind of uh, they're regarded as unlucky uh, at the least, and then they're outright terrifying, um, such as like uh, some of the assassins that the Imperium uh, uh, utilizes, in that they can actually sever the connection that a being has to the warp. Um, now, to a psyker, that would be devastating. To a regular life form, it would just be you would it would send them into confusion. And we do know that the Tau, when attacked by these types of assassins, such as uh, during the, the successful assassination of Anva, uh, we do know that the Tau uh, do react to psychers and as well as uh, nulls. So they do have souls; they just don't have very powerful souls. Um, so much so that they they lack the they they fundamentally lack something that human beings uh, require in in uh, in Warhammer Forty Thousand. So, um, so the Tau have uh, cloven hooves, um, kind of a, a large central hoof, uh, and then kind of like a dew claw and a smaller uh, like like knuckle um, on the left side of that large hoof. Uh, this denotes again uh, a common ancestry to ungulates. Um, they're regarded as being faster than humans in terms of outright running, um, uh, as well as being uh, very good climbers um, and. And it's kind of funny. Um, this is something I recently discovered: is that Tau stairs um, are difficult for human beings to to manage. Like, like if you, it said if a human being had to walk up a flight of stairs uh, on a Tau planet, they they'd be winded by the end of it. So, uh, so Tau have uh, have uh, have are, are regarded as these uh, kind of casually they're they're good climbers. Um, perhaps uh, this could mean that their common ancestor could have been like some kind of goat analog. Who knows? So going into the hypothesis of Tau evolution, Tau evolution, I think, makes a lot of sense that they, if their if their homeworld is a savanna-based uh, biome, uh, it's most likely that that a, that a race would would be be migratory in in search of both vegetation. Um, as well as as well as looking for for water sources, um, and we're talking this this would be hundreds of thousands of years ago, if not I mean conceivably if not millions of years ago. Um, the Tau evolution is an important thing to try to get a handle on because it does start it does start dictating a lot of why the Tau are the way they are. So I've been I've always been a fan of the idea that they were um, undulates. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense in that I also think that they were herd creatures. So so when you think about a herd and you think about all of the things that goes into I mean let's just let's just take uh, African savanna for example. Um, all basically all and and this is this is my understanding. So if, if anybody out there is a biologist, please you know help me out. But, um, but in, in my research and my understanding of how African uh, animal systems work is that you effectively have the elephant, right? Uh, the elephant kind of leads the way. Uh, it, it, they're so large that they, they, they kind of pave a natural road. Um, they're large enough that they can, they can rub up against certain trees uh, and create new water sources. Um, and they have excellent memories which allow them to remember all of the best places as they as they travel. They eat an enormous amount of food, um, and as a result, uh, can can kind of like eat a place bare. So they have to be migratory. 
Um, after that, you have a, a, a kind of a descending scale of animalia that follow them uh, and kind of pick up after after them, uh, eat uh, eat things that the elephants are, are too big or, or, or don't notice, and, and, and then so on and so forth, which we get finally to like bird creatures, which then follow these animals because bugs are, are following them. So if we think about that as like the basis for uh, for the for uh, a Tau analog species, uh, then it then it kind of immediately informs us that like of course a concept like communality or or a greater good would come out of a species like this. Um, we will talk about the Manta, uh, which is which would kind of run counter to this way of thinking, but but at the same time the Tau are nat almost seemingly naturally xenophilic uh, and 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 enjoy a kind of a, a an, uh, a tolerance for alien species, uh, even even if those alien species are, are literally killing them, um, and and you know the biggest example of that would be the the orcs. Um, oh, I have uh, I have two two questions coming up, uh, so I will just uh, I'm gonna in order of how I see them online, I'm gonna invite Biotic first, and he might not be there. So Germanus, uh, hello, hey, how's it going? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Uh, if you'd like to go first, and then Biotic, you can ask your question, um, and then we'll go back into the hypothesis part of this talk. Uh, yeah. Go for it. A couple of minutes ago, you kind of mentioned that Chow were like goats, like climbers. Is there a way that they were like going on all four, and that they just evolved into standing, but were actually like goats in blue before? Uh, sure. That's a that's an interesting notion. I have. Uh, um, is that... Oh, yeah. I was gonna say if they were going to have, eventually they may have diverged from goats um, that were on their planet. But with the way evolution is, it was probably before they even became a sentient species right. in a sense. Kind of like how we diverged from chimpanzees and gorillas and all of that. But it was thousands of years ago. Right. So, there. if you were to look at goats, um, we're, we don't have a lot of examples of the other species on the planet of Tau that they may have originally diverged from. Um, but if you were to look at goats, they may have be able to find a common ancestor within those goats. Sure. Yeah, I, I actually, um, well, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit um, because there is there is one race uh, that we do know about, uh, which is called the Scree. Um, but I'll get into that a little bit toward the Montau where they get uh, a little bit more important. But good point, Redrix, and excellent question, Germanosaurus. <laughs> um, yes, the, the Tau... Uh, I, I, I believe that the Tau evolved from a goat-like species um, in that both they, it would, it, would, it would kind of respond to the fact that they have like hooves, uh, that they're long distance walkers or runners, um, that they evolved from uh, bovines or bovids, uh, and that I also believe that they were prey species in that I think that the Tau were hunted by predators and super predators. Um, uh, which could be the reason for their initial evolution. I'll get into that in just a moment. But Biotic, you had a question? Uh, not so much as a question as something to add. Oh, okay. Uh, from what I've read from the lore and stuff, the 
the thing is that they and what i think about the whole african savannah is basically if you have a supercontinent and that's from the lore mm-hmm. uh, if you have a supercontinent uh, everything is kind of packed so right. you don't <clears throat> you have much a, a lot of biodiversity and you have access to that biodiversity so right. it would make sense for them to be migratory but upon reaching like this is be, uh, after they got a form of sentience if you would reach a plane or a place with high resource value then you would just settle and that's what they did right yes in the form of the kind of proto earth cast so yes exactly. excellent um cool if i put you back in the audience yes of course I like it how everybody's really polite during these talks by the way. <laughs> oh, uh Cosmonaut, uh let's get your question in and then I'll go into uh the rest of the hypothetical. Yes, hello. Hey. Uh, uh, good afternoon. More what? Uh, well, good evening on my side. It's half past 7. <laughs> um well, two things. The first thing is just more of a comment. Uh I do I will say I do like the idea that they've become more of a uh, like a bovine or undulate type species versus lizards in the beginning because I feel that's a bit too close to like lizard men in uh, Warhammer Fantasy. Agreed. But at the same time, it almost sort of makes them like space satyrs in a way. And I think that's a really cool idea. Oh, that is, uh, uh, yeah. But also, uh, it, if I remember correctly, do the ethereals have like a, a bone in their nasal slit? Yes, and we can we can talk about that once the once the ethereals come on the scene. Uh, sort of something that makes me well, I suppose I can bring it up then. But I'm thinking now is with the idea of them being almost bovine, uh, the idea of like bulls with horns and even goats. But for ethereals to have that sort of uh, protruding bone in their nail slit could almost like be a a calling card to that idea of them being bovine and use that as sort of like, I don't know, whoever has like the biggest horns leads the fact sort of thing. But yeah, it is a proper designation of, well, ethereal leader or higher up in the whole car system. So uh, an idea that's coming to me. Yeah, no, Cosmonaut, we will literally talk about that today. I'm so excited that you brought that up yourself. Yes, that is, we are definitely going to talk about the uh, the what the ethereal bone ridge could could mean. Um, yes, hold on to that idea and uh, and we'll talk about it in just a little bit. Cool. Great stuff. Cool. Thank you very much. Awesome. Um, okay. So, oh God, this is I'm so excited. Okay, but we're gonna do this in order. So, okay. <laughs> so we've got this. We've got this proto-civilization, or no, excuse me, not even civilization, we have this uh, uh, proto-species, right? Um, And most likely uh, it it would fulfill kind of like a a mid-range animal. I don't think the, I don't think the Tau evolved from an animal as big as like an elephant, for example. Um, But what we do know about the Tau ecosystem is that there are super predators. Um, I specifically bring up uh, the newest codex which describes the the early uh, first sphere ex- expansion, and I know we're fast forwarding a little bit, but but it's but it's important to know that the first thing that the firecast did, up until uh, and even after the Tau started colonizing space, is that they they 
they eradicated the remaining uh, predators on Tau. Um, so to give you a little bit of context, that would be like if the human race uh, was still like exterminating saber-toothed tigers up until like the 1970s and the 1960s when we started our own space race. Um, I think that this is a, it, it's really like, this has to be a, a big uh, element of, uh, of how bad things could have been on, on proto-civilized Tau in that, you know, these, these, you know, if, if the Tau uh, struggle to try to work with biospheres, and they do, they, they, they do try to work with the environments of the planets that they colonize, uh, how drastic these types of predators would have been, even to a race that had developed gunpowder, developed space flight, and developed weapons uh, that, you know, I mean, are, can can put them toe-to-toe with races like the Nikasar, which is their first contact uh, species, and then later uh, and then later the orcs. So, so imagine that early Tau, um, these migratory herds probably probably have multiple different species, um, of which one of them is the Scree, which we'll talk about, um, and then leading up to you know birds, because we know that the, the Tau have a close relationship with with bird species. Um, they must have been hunted. Uh, pretty, pretty savagely uh, by by uh, by by multiple, possibly multiple different races of predators, um, possibly even sentient, um, uh, which which we don't have any evidence of. But but I, I I would find it, you know, we can out. It doesn't matter kind of who you are as a human being. You can kind of outthink uh, something hunting you. Uh, if a polar bear is coming after you somewhere in Alaska. You can climb up into a building that you you know you you've your people have made uh, to prevent uh, polar bear consumption. Um, if the Tau are struggling struggling against predators all the way up until the space race, to me that means that there was a sentient type of hunter. Um, I see some hand hands raised, but I'm going to finish this thought real quick. Um, so for me, in my own let's call it my own head cannon or or my own supposition. I think that this would have led to some of that early uh, evolutionary anxiety that the Tau have uh, to migrate into, uh, as um, as Biotic was saying, to to migrate to different biospheres uh, on the planet um, uh, for for perhaps the proto aircast to have evolved to live up in the mountains um, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's we, we know from our understanding of biology on Earth that. Animals respond to punctuated equilibrium um, uh, with with bursts of ad, uh, adaptability, or they die. Um, the races that can't adapt to changes in the environment uh, perish. And so, if the Tau were being hunted by super predators, then this is perhaps the reason why they uh, adapt so quickly um, to live in different places, as well as to have uh, kind of a sense of urgency with everything that they do. Um, okay, so uh, I will. Uh, the next thing that we're going to talk about uh, is the actual uh, Lands Vision exploratory fleet uh, as it comes into contact with uh, these proto Tau. Um, but questions. Oh, sorry. Stage. Yeah, you, should we do questions? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so let's see. I'm going to. Oh, so in two biotic. biotic let you go first. Um, Biotic, I've just invited you. Let's just call the supercontinent Super Australia. 
Yeah, it could be. <laughs> yes, we can call it Super Australia. Was that was that your comment? Yeah, that, that, that that's what was my comment. Yes, so let's call it Super Australia because it's very fitting. And yes, sure. the problem is that um, the problem with this, the whole uh, setting for the Tau planet was that from what I gathered from the lore, from what I've read anyways, is that basically uh, due to the fact that the planet was extremely rich in resources and the fact that it didn't have any natural borders like a freaking ocean or anything, these predators would migrate all over the place. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you do need to find something and that's, for example, that's what would logically have happened with the aircast for example they would like seek the highest right. possible place because it's a natural defense after all yeah i would say that they probably most likely ate tau i wouldn't say that they were uh, refuse hunters we'll talk a little bit about early weapons too because that'll that's important um let's go to germanosaurus good evening it's me again um <laughs> I don't know whether you've heard about the Neanderthals. Mm-hmm. These ancient yeah. people that didn't make it. Can we assume that there were multiple Tau people gatherings that didn't make it because of the same reasons? Like they didn't evolve to fire, they got eaten by some nasty space, whatever wolf thing. Yeah, no, um, and uh, and that leads to, uh, I think, a little bit about uh, what we can talk about when it gets to uh, uh, when we when we actually get to the ethereals, and uh, it, we are getting into uh, hyper hypotheticals. But yes, I do think that several, um, I do think that several communities uh, most likely perished. I, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't see it, it. Wouldn't be it wouldn't be as big of a threat if. How uh, Tau ancestors didn't go through various phases of overhunting. Um, I'm just going to let uh, uh, Bossman uh, go next. Thank you, Germanosaurus. Uh, yes, I'm I'm here. Um, uh, something I just wanted to point out is that uh, when when uh, GW has the tendency to talk about Proto Tau, <clears throat> they tend to talk about them in three groups: Plains Tau. Mountain Tau and uh, Riverlands Tau, which are supposed to be like a, a proto-cast system or something like that. And the thing I find interesting about that is that there are only three uh, compared to the, the four casts we obviously have in uh, Millennia 40, which means that either one of the casts, likely either Fire or Earth, developed later than the others, or it means that even in those prehistoric days, we saw inter, uh, interrelations between the species that would become the casts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what? I'm going to jump ahead because I think we're all coming to the same kind of conclusion. Thank you, Bossman. Um, uh, one one of the things uh, that I think is and pickled. I will absolutely get to you. Uh, we're all we're all reaching the same conclusion. So. At this point, the Tau, uh, as Bossman was saying, um, the Tau uh, are inter intermarrying between each other. Uh, they are not distinct races yet. Uh, those caste systems, which the Ethereals then form, do become distinct subspecies, uh, which 
do not um, procreate uh, with each other. There is evidence that there could be relationships, but no, but but no procreation is allowed uh, by edict of the ethereals. So here's here's the hypothetical. I think, and it's very closely related to uh, the the arrival of the Adeptus Mechanicus. So so okay, let's talk about that for a second. The Adeptus Mechanicus comes down um, after finding a planet that's suitable for life, and what they what they discover is um, a race uh, of sentience, which they then um, they then uh, capture. Um, uh, you can see it in the first uh, in the first codex, um, but you can see that they uh, both capture, kill, and and basically are, are generally uh, what human beings are. Like they are brutal, right? They're brutal in everything that they do. Uh, we don't know how long this period lasts. Um, we we know uh, that the uh, the Adeptus Mechanicus is extremely thorough when they are studying a race uh, or studying a planet. So conceivably, you know, I don't think that this happened over the course of a day. I think it happened over the course of possibly uh, months or years. Um, but what ends up happening is the uh, these proto tau. Um, ultimately are taken off planet. So everybody has kind of watched the History Channel's Ancient Aliens show, I'm assuming, or you've at least seen the memes. You have a, a legitimate ancient uh, ancient al aliens event um, that gets inflicted on the Tau. And those ancient aliens are the Adeptus Mechanicus, some of the most brutal uh, elements of the human race in Warhammer 40,000. So I would think and, and this, again, this is getting into uh, extreme theory verse. But if these proto-tau are captured and they are brought onto the Adeptus Mechanicus vessels and flown off, which we know that they are because later on, thousands of years later, uh, the Imperial Navy will petition the Mechanicus to, the Adeptus Mechanicus to show them or to, to see if there's any evidence of this alien race that they're now engaging with. And the Adeptus Mechanicus does have um, samples. They do have uh, uh, they do have data on the Tau. So we know that these Tau left the planet. I think that if we're talking about Neanderthals, as Germanisarius uh, was was mentioning, um, and which was which is kind of, again, we're all kind of bringing up this notion of of multiple Tau species. I actually think that the Ethereals represent that Neanderthal or, or common race that the Tau used to all, all come from. And that the Ethereals themselves are, you know, possibly descendants of uh, those individuals that were taken by the Adeptus Mechanicus. Um, examples of this are, are going to be forthcoming in some of the other things that I'm going to bring up today. Um, but, but we do know, for example, that as the Tau unified uh, and moved into their solar system, they discovered uh, the remains of spacecraft on Louvral, the largest moon, which I mentioned earlier on, um, and uh, and that the Adeptus Mechanicus uh, notes that the Land's Vision exploratory fleet was lost due to extreme warp storms. Um, so this is kind of, it's a series of combinations of like events that could be random, um, or are actually much closer tied uh, than we know, which which would mean that like the the um, if if there was a group of uh, Tau on 
uh, in within this exploratory fleet and it was lost in the warp, uh, it could be that the human element perished as a result of what happens when you get lost in the warp, uh, and that the Tau uh, beings that were on board basically lived on spacecraft for conceivably hundreds, if not thousands of years because, because of the nature of the warp. And that as time passed, those ships eventually exited the warp, which again, we have examples all over 40K of uh, races, uh, you know, uh, Imperial ships showing up late um, uh, to, to the same destination. It could mean that this race came back and then then landed on Tau uh, during the Monta and uh, and then eventually united their species uh, and that they there there is some kind of connection there. Um, but uh, but again, this is a this is kind of a a, a a long shot theory. But I think that there, as we keep going, there are more examples of the ethereals, if not if not going through that process of the uh, ancient aliens theory are at least some uh, representative of some kind of uh, common ancestor or origin species um, um, based on the fact that they are, they do have that central bone um, that denotes them being uh, different from the rest of the Tau. Perhaps that bone is what, you know, all, all Tau used to have it, but as they migrated and moved into different biomes, they lost that, that ability. Um, or excuse me, that that uh, uh, that appendage. Uh, so I'm just going to double check. Uh, I'm going to uh, interrupt you real quick. I've I've been asking questions to the or getting their questions as they've been talking. Okay, just, cool. Just so it didn't interrupt you. So Pickled asked um, if we could equate the Tau protocasts in the same way as we see human ancestors, such as Homo habilis, Sapien erectus or homo habilis homo sapien homo erectus and i think the way to look at the casts the the proto casts as the plains the mountain and um i don't remember the third one <laughs> yeah just look at them more so as like europeans to um, asians to americans in a in a sense where they're not necessarily evolutionarily different, but they're still different in their own aspects with their own cultures and how they interact with each other. Yeah, but I, I would I would say uh, that that pickled is is onto something because we do know that the proto air cast does have an evolutionary uh, difference from the rest of the Tau species in the form that they used to have these kind of webbed winged, you know, appendages, uh, much like, like a flying squirrel uh, that connected their, uh, their elbows to their chests. So we do, we do, they, they are definitely an outlier and, and, and who knows why that is the case, but like they are, I mean, in some descriptions, they're regarded almost as like legends or mythology that there were, that there was a race of Tau that, that could, you know, glide or, or fly. So, but, but definitely I would agree that the city dwelling river valley people, um, which would have been the proto water and proto earth cast, um, they could, and probably, and, and most definitely did, uh, interact with each other and, and were the same species. So like you're saying, um, very much, you know, if, Africa and Europe didn't have the Mediterranean. Yes, they they would have mingled that way. Um, as much as the proto fire cast could be regarded as almost like uh, you know Mongolian uh, step 
uh, tribes um, in that, uh, except that instead of having instead of having oceans to break break us up and separate us and isolate us, um, they're all mixing all the time. So um, okay, black comments question. Um, he oh, okay. said uh, he heard that the Eldar influenced the Tau evolution originally by placing that ship in Tau space. Um, <laughs> I have some thoughts, but I'll let you go first on that one, Copsword. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's it's good to note. Um, so that comes from a book called uh, uh, what is it? Xeno Xenobiology. Um, and that book's fairly 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 old. Um, and and is pretty has some pretty wild uh, depictions of of a lot of different races that we we know only a little bit about. I'm aware of the Eldar theory, the theory that the Eldar um, influenced uh, the evolution or the advancement of the Tau, I have just never seen anything other than kind of like a heavy hint in that book that that could be the case. Um, so what I will say is that the, the Eldar as a people don't seem to be very involved in the manipulation of of beings from the evolutionary level or of the uh, the uplifting level, like the Eldar don't go around, um, aren't particularly uh, nice to other alien races. Um, they're not as bad as the humans are, but I would need to see more evidence before I would think that the Eldar would place a functioning warp drive uh, specifically in uh, in Tau space. And the reason why uh, I'm skeptical of it is that the the warp drive requires a biological aspect that goes back to what we were talking about with the town not having very prominent souls. Let's call them sparks to humans, candlelight to Eldar bonfires, right? In terms of how strong their souls are. Um, the, the warp drive itself is a, is a human creation and it, and it relies on the navigator gene. So even if you had a warp drive, you wouldn't really be able to do anything with it um, uh, in terms of breaching uh, the warp um, without uh, a navigator. Um, and these navigators are, are kind of a spontaneous human evolution. Um, they're, they're mutants, um, and they were discovered somewhere, I think, in Millennium 20. Um, for the Eldar to take a warp drive and drop it off in the Tau system rely, relies on the notion that the Tau would have been able to engineer it to the point where they invented skip drives, which, again, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more uh, at the end of uh, these topics. But the Tau don't enter the warp, they kind of bounce off of it. For the Eldar to know that, I feel like it's a little bit too much of deus ex machina. I think it's too convenient. Um, I do, I, I personally think that the ship that was crashed on Louvral uh, was most likely part of the uh, Lands Vision Exploratory Fleet. I think it. I think it was a. Uh, I think it was a, a you know a, a member of of that body, uh, rather than 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 I believe that's Elder. However, there are lots of. I will say there's a lot of strong hy hypotheses that say that the Eldar would want uh, to engineer a race to you know, to exist on the on the uh, the Eastern Fringe. Um, Redrix, I think you're having lunch. Would it be possible to mute yourself? <laughs> I, or at least I can hear chewing. Is that on your end? Or is it someone in my house? I just, I just okay. I, I took a bite and then I muted my mic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. No worries, no worries. 
So let's, um, let me just double check. Uh, yes, if anybody has uh, any questions that, I don't want anybody to feel like they're being run over, please put it, uh, I guess, in text voice, Retrix, that's where you're reading them? Yeah, I just, Cosmonaut King had a question. He's, he's typing, but he needs to type faster. I'm kidding. <laughs> no worries. Um, I am going to move on just because I would like to get to some of the things that we're talking about, but let's, let's talk about um, settlement. So the Tau at this point have kind of centered around the major biomes of the mountains, which where we have the proto-aircast, uh, the river valleys where we have the first uh, Tau settlements in the forms of cities and fortresses, uh, and then we have the water cast, which kind of live on the rivers, probably connecting these cities to each other and becoming, uh, you know, early tradesmen. Um, but the fire cast, which even to this day is regarded as the hardiest and um, and most violent of the Tau, uh, they remain in the plains, which makes me think that they probably contended with uh, predators out there uh, in what Biotic has, has called Stupor Australia. <laughs> So, um, so these, these, these tribal peoples become, um, become very vicious, um, and we actually see uh, the first signs of, of what is going to be a problem for the Tau, and that is that on this giant landmass, there is actually not enough food. Um, and, and as the, as the plain, plain tribes attack these cities, uh, it seems to be resource-based. So there, there must be some kind of shortfall that the population of the Tau kind of grows out, probably as a result of these cities, grows out of the uh, of the inability to sustain that population. So you start having competition. Now, it, again, it's my hypothesis that this early um, explore, uh, Adeptus Mechanicus uh, event is very much like uh, what 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 modern human uh, history would regard like a flood event, a uh, something that is in the psyche of multiple civilizations, and we don't really know if it's true, if it's allegorical, if it's literal. Like like we could talk all day about uh, the primordial floods. Um, I believe that much like how humanity, the Eldar, um, and several other races uh, regard the Reaper as the sign of death. Um, and that is a result, that is a canonical result of a being called the the Nightbringer, um, which was a Catan that was uh, extremely uh, vicious during the war in heaven. Um, he was so uh, devastating to the galaxy that, that, the, that the races that were around, that, that interacted with him, regard him as, as quite literally the representation of death. Humanity fears death because of the Nightbringer. So for the Tau, I believe that they have a similar relationship with the, uh, the first contact with the Adeptus Mechanicus, that this is the first time that something came out of the sky, killed people, took people away from them, um, that, that becomes the personification of death. Um, and if, if that's the case, again, you have another instance of uh, a protracted, equal, uh, punctuated equilibrium where, where society, and remember, all of these Tau tribes and nations are all in constant contact with each other generally um, as a result of not having any oceans, that some, some, this kind of an event uh, would traumatize all of them to make them kind of evolve or, or advance 
even faster because that's what that's what life does, right? Especially especially sentient life. So 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 because of this, um, I believe that we the Tao get put on a path artificially of self destruction, whereas before you had kind of uh, migratory patterns of, of, of tribes going to different areas um, and only having to worry about predators. But just as uh, Biotic mentioned, you know, once you get into the mountains, maybe the predators can't catch you. Or once you once you find a river valley that's hidden away enough, you don't have to worry about being hunted. Um, but once something comes out of the sky, um, that 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 puts you on like a species-wide alert. Like from from a, from a from a like almost like a, a natural fear perspective. Um, and so I think that everybody kind of gears up. Um, the earth cast begins, excuse me, the proto earth cast begins making uh, gunpowder weapons. And we know that they have these massive uh, cannons that they built while the plains warriors become even more emboldened um, to, to and, and, kind of, and in my opinion, desperate. Um, bringing up something that Redricks had mentioned earlier on, um, in terms of weapons, uh, the Tao, and this is something for everybody to know, the Tao do practice martial arts. Uh, they do practice close quarters fighting. Um, they just regard it with kind of a disdain. Um, in the same way that you could say in real world terms, like some people disdain uh, drone pilots, right? Because they, you know, they, they strike out with <laughs> effectively from the, from like a guy in, in Utah can, can kill a human being in Afghanistan. Or in World War II, how people regarded snipers, um, or how in World War I people regarded machine gun uh, operators. Like these people have, these people are. We regard these types of weapons with, uh, you know, historical disdain. Um, the Tau regard close quarters combat in the same way. And the original designers, um, you know, including uh, Graham McNeil, uh, Andy Chambers. Uh, when they when they were initially talking about the Tao in White Dwarf um, in the early 2000s, they imagined the Tao to adopt bows and arrows, um, spears, things like that, long distance weapons, and that that really that correlates with their 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 both their biology, right, um, as well as um, as well as the necessities of being uh, hunters. Now, in my opinion, again, because of these super predators. I think the Tau were defensive hunters as well. I mean, I'm not saying that they were, uh, they didn't kill things and eat them, um, but I do think that the the Tau, um, I do think the Tau had to kill uh, things like, you know, tigers, saber-toothed tigers, lions, pack hunting lions, you know, things like that. I think that they had to work together to try to stay alive. And as a result, you don't want to be close to a saber-toothed tiger because that thing's going to just murderate you. You want to stay far away. You want to use a bow, um, things like that. So the Tao regard things like the bow in the same way that the human race regards a sword. Now it doesn't matter what culture you're a part of, really. Of the major cultures, swords hold not only a weapon, uh, aren't, aren't held just as weapons. They're also held as symbols. Uh, Excalibur for the Western Europeans, um, the samurai sword, uh, as well as the um, as the blades of, of the romance of the three kingdoms. You know, like like every every major civilization has some kind of reverence for a sword-like weapon. Um, even the clubs of the Maasai, for example, the lion killers. Um, the Tao just instead of having that physical weapon, um, have a bow. 
and and if we, and if you think about the Tao as holding reverence for bows and javelins or light spears, things that you can throw, um, again, it starts influencing why the Tao are the way they are in Warhammer 40k. So, so where are we? So we're we're at this period where the civilization has started to take root in the river valleys, but it is under threat by these plain tribes, and and what quickly escalates is is imagine imagine if the dark ages of of europe um or 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 actually the romance of the three kingdoms uh, the uh, or the warring states period uh in asia uh starts to take root and the competition turns into outright warfare and because there is no there are none, no oceans to separate people um you start getting plagues and these plagues um, start ravaging the uh, the, the population, um, uh, and then and then shortly thereafter you have famine. So you're looking at like an extinction level event as a result of uh, in again in my hypothesis of multiple traumas that have happened to the Tau race. They don't know how to stop themselves because they're so panicked to try to survive. Um, and this age uh, is now retroactively called the Monta, which in Tausia is the age of terror. Um, Tau are killing each other en masse. The, two, the, the four major, um, let's call them sub-civilizations, the, the proto-fire cast, the proto-air cast, is staged against the proto-water and earth cast. And with these famines ravaging their populations um, and resources becoming scarce, it's 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 a it's a situation that's only mu multiplying itself in terms of how drastic uh, uh, and lethal it is to the species as a whole. And as we all know, um, and I'll end on this, and we can we can open up to some uh, questions and conversation. Um, at the siege of Feotan, uh, now it the depictions kind of vary. Um, some people say five seasons. There there are. Uh, there are five seasons, uh, four, four known seasons, but five stated seasons um, for Tau itself. Um, uh, but either five seasons or five years, uh, Feotan, which was the largest of these uh, city fortresses by the proto Earthcast, is under siege by several of the largest and most powerful uh, plains dwelling uh, Tau, assisted by the proto Earthcast. Um, this this battle is 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 extremely bloody with no with no signs of either side of uh capitulating to the other um until uh and, and this is a myth so so it has all the it has all the dressings of a myth but strange lights in the sky are seen um there's a sense of uh, foreboding by by the tau that are there and sure enough two individuals show up one uh finding his way into or its way we actually don't know if it's a he or she uh, finding its way into the fortress and and another being finding its way to the uh kind of the war council of the tribes uh that are sieging the the city um and they negotiate a peace um we don't know how that happens obviously there's there's a lot of mystery um but they talk about the kind of manifest destiny of their species and how they have to unite um in order and, and stop killing each other um which which Feotan is an example of where that works. Um, there are very few, and, and it's it's very early in, in Tao lore, but there are very few other examples of this happening in other places. But we do know 
that after this period, more and more of these individuals, which will later be called ethereals, um, start appearing all over the place um, in a kind of spreading, uh, a, a spread out from Theoton. Um, and in some instances, they become kind of children's stories, um, very much like the Pied Piper. You have one ethereal showing up at a town um, uh, where, where the, there are people uh, fighting each other, um, and the ethereal kidnaps their children. Uh, the two different factions of this town uh, realize their kids are gone, um, stop their fighting and start looking for their children and working together, they find the ethereal who then gives their children back, thus proving, you know, we don't know if this is true. This is, this could be just a children's story. Um, but, but that is, that is another example of another early legend where the ethereals start, uh, kind of creating different scenarios where, where these, uh, proto how will work together and stop fighting each other. Um, now, uh, I'm going to say that that really marks the end of the Manta. And Feotan, um, which still exists today, um, it's still referenced by Tao. It's, uh, uh, could, it could conceivably be the capital on Tao itself, um, which gets remarked upon in the first White Dwarf um, that the Tao appear in um, and is, regard uh, is called the White City. And that is where the An Artol or Ethereal High Council um, that's where they convene. Um, so, so, it's, so again, interesting to connect the history of this race to to kind of modern 40k. Um, know that most of Tau, uh, unlike Earth, does not get industrialized. A lot of it remains remains kind of in a in a in a uh, uh, not stasis, but but in a kind of a conserve it. Um, and it doesn't get kind of paved over like a you excuse me a citywide planet. I can never say that word. Eucumenopolis, <laughs> um, uh, whereas the Tau do do that to places like Delith or Sakia. So, so the Tau have a very strong connection to their roots, and they do very much value the the old ways. Um, as much as they've adopted this relatively new notion of a greater good, which eventually turns into the unifying philosophy of this race. Um, technology moves forward now, not in a panicked, scattered way, which it did in the Manta, uh, but but it, it is directed and focused. And the Ethereals eventually mandate that Louvral will be colonized, as well as several other planets in the, in the system, uh, and eventually lead to uh, the discovery of other planets in the stellar cluster for which they start to colonize. So I'm going to put a, a, a stop on my momentum here. Um, people have stopped raising their hands. I'm assuming everybody moved over to text voice. Uh, yeah, Redrix. I've, I've been... So let me pull up the questions again. Um, I think I can... Some of the... The first question was from Cosmonaut Kane, um, which he asked... Or he said, with regards to the ethereal nasal bone, and with Calm Sword saying that the other Tau see them as the closest thing to Proto Tau, could this mean that the rest of the Tau view ethereals as the true Tau, or the whole of the casts in a way? Where all the Tau are separated, the ethereal are both a whole and literally the connector of casts. At the same time, this almost puts them in an all knowing elder or old wise man due to them having features of the original Tau. Hmm. That's super interesting. Yeah, I, I I would say that most likely when looking at if we if we look at the if we look at what the the um 
if we look at, at, at basically if the ethereals are me I, I know that there's this notion of like pheromones right but like pheromones have kind of been debunked several times in, in various different black library books as much as as much as they've been like made super powerful um in others um i personally don't think that the pheromone thing is is very um has a very strong argument for it um because because we see tau societies flourishing without ethereals um and i'm not i'm not talking about the enclaves i'm talking about uh, outer colonies um and even major worlds um they're they're just not the ethereals aren't needed in order to subdue like tau passions you know um i would think that the image of a Tao, yes, is that there, that there could almost be some kind of like, uh, hmm. so way, uh, let I me- think what you're trying sorry. to say, I, I'm not yeah. meaning to interrupt you, but um, think of it like if, if we are going with the old man and that they're kind of their horns in a sense, like goats or another thing would be deer or elk right more regal or i think with deer and elk specifically the dominant male or dominant i think just male have very elegant horns or like in i'm referencing another fantasy setting but i believe in the hobbit you have the king of the wood elves he has these giant magnificent horns as he's the regal leader of I don't know as much about Lord of the Rings, but yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, I almost want to relate it back to the human beings have this idea of, uh, what is it, uh, Uncanny Valley. And it's a, it's become really popular lately uh, for people to, uh, to kind of reference it. Uh, but the Uncanny Valley, uh, they believe, is some kind of leftover uh, trauma uh, that, that, that humanity might have felt for, let's say, all of those other... Uh, uh, human-like races like the Neanderthals, and that we, we actually we we still carry some kind of psych, you know psychosis of like near humans, and perhaps that led to their annihilation. Who knows, right? Like that's a that's another conversation. I would say that the tower are the exact opposite, in that if the ethereals are kind of these are are the last remnants of a proto-tau race or or an origin species, or or even um, a tau race that existed before the three major uh, uh, groups, the, the proto uh, earth and water, which are basically the same, um, the plains dwelling uh, savanna tribes and the mountain Tau proto air cast. If the ethereals represent the, the Tau before that split happened, then absolutely. I think the Tau on a fundamental level, look at the ethereals as their connection to the past, which means that it's less well, I think that there is cultural, uh, you know, there's cultural brainwashing that happens, um, as with every culture. Um, I do think that the Tao individually, on like a fundamental level, view view the ethereals as as a living embodiment of their of their of their past, which is super important for the Tao. I mean, we know the Tao revere age, for example. Um, uh, and and their elders are extremely well protected and listened to and obey you know and 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 are very much um, revered by by the society. Um, so so I, I I absolutely agree with that. I think another way to like just to compare it to humans would be with even with the fossils of our ancestors, how much care gets 
put into preserving them, finding as much as we can about them, how they lived, and just how they function within a society. Um, it, it would be like if we found a Neanderthal, not necessarily a Neanderthal, but an ancient proto-human frozen in the ice, perfectly preserved. Because it's like a way that links us all together yeah. from our past. Mm. Yeah. So, so I guess from here, a good place to start talking about is maybe, um, unless, oh, sorry, Germanus, I'm going to invite you to speak. Here you go. Thank you. I have to disagree. Mm. If we find a perfectly preserved Neanderthal by now, it would just be, oh, we found another subspecies of the human, of the Homo sapien, because they're only similar to us. They're, they were not humans. Mm. And so it would just be, oh, for the tower, it would about another subspecies that didn't make it like we did. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Oh, sorry, Germanus, sorry, we're kind of losing you. Can you hear us? Yes. Yeah, want to repeat that? Yeah. If the Tau find a perfectly preserved whatever, a Tau Neanderthal, they would just be, oh, it's another subspecies of us that didn't make it. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be like, oh, that's directly our past. Hmm. So what's interesting about what's interesting about this uh, this conversation, for example, is that humanity doesn't have in our history. We don't have examples of of any of the other near humans. Like we, there, there's nothing else that we can procreate with, right? And and like so so for example, if you look at uh tigers and lions like they can still procreate with one another and they create um ligers and tylons right so so and even though those are mules right they can they in turn can't can't breed um there is there is a biological common ancestry between those two humanity doesn't have that anymore we don't we don't you know we can't mate with gorillas and chimpanzees um and create half half races right um, so I wonder if part of humanity's obsession with ourselves is is because we we, we kind of feel that we are this um, like even on not not just a cultural level but I would think almost like our, our psyches are kind of programmed to to have this kind of exceptionalism inside of us, um, which is then yes. just you know I don't think that the Tao have that. Um, I think human beings have that because we started off as scavengers and we became apex hunters. I think if you look at the Tau as being, again, go back to that theory that they evolved from herd creatures, um, I think that they would have a completely different wiring in that they would have reverence for for the things that came before them. Um, in the same way that like elephants have, uh, you know, kind of elephant graveyards and and, and I don't, I, I also don't know if that's just being hyperbolic. I, 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 that's what I've read that the, that the uh, that the elephants uh, can regard um, know the difference between a living and dead uh, member of their species, um, and there is a reverence there. I would think that the Tal have something similar, in that they revere revere elements of the past um, because they because they are fundamentally a hunted species. 
Um, whereas human beings, we kind of have this, this uh, we have kind of like a hero complex, right? Because because we are we are fundamentally predators, or we've become predators after after being scavengers for hundreds and thousands of years. I think, but, 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 but at all. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, go for it. No, go ahead. No, no, no okay. please. Uh, okay. The town can be hunters too. Yeah, and they are. They absolutely are hunters. I just believe that based on based on the fact that we know that they that they had these super predators on the planet, and that we know and and that now, especially after Lieber's and xenologists, um, we know that they are evolved from herd species or bovines. Um, that that they would have also had to have been defensive hunters. Human beings are not really defensive hunters. I mean, we're again, we're 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 scavengers, and then we start figuring out how to like you know, pen uh, pen animals and run them off cliffs, like when we hunted mammoths, right? So I think the Tau could have done those things, but I think it's also uh, that they would have had to protect themselves and protect their their you know their their communities from animals actively hunting uh, hunting them. Humanity doesn't have very much evidence that we were ever particularly hunted um, to the extent, uh, other than saber-toothed tigers, but to the extent that we could have ever been considered a prey species. So um, so that's, that's kind of why, I, I think you can be a hunter and be, uh, let, let's say like, uh, you know, a her I think that you can be a herbivore. We, we have plenty of examples of like aggressive herd species, uh, the hippopotamus, for example, right? Um, which is regarded as like one of the most lethal animals uh, in in Africa. So, so I don't think I don't think that they are not hunters. I think that their 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 priorities are just different than human beings. Where human beings think about the individual first and foremost, uh, I think that the Tao think about the community first and foremost. Um, and and that's and kind of that's my own conclusion. I think with the early Tao when they were still necessarily in the herds, you would see kind of, not necessarily self-sacrifice, but a lot of the necessarily leader, I don't think it would be the, I'm running through my thoughts as I say them. Um, in some species you see where it's just one, one male will step up to try to defend the herd. Um, with the original Tau, it might have been all of the herd or a large portion of the herd steps up to protect the young and the um, elders whereas so go ahead oh i was just gonna say whereas compared to like some animals here on earth where they just kind of stampede and they all panic Sure. I mean, you. I mean, you have plenty of examples, like buffalo, for example. Uh, several uh, large males will 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 defend the herd from, let's say, yes. wolves, for example. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that there's enough examples of herd creatures defending themselves en masse as uh, as opposed to uh, individual. Uh, I see that Bossman's had his hand raised for a while. So, Germanosaurus, are, are you cool if I put you back in the audience? Uh, yeah. Okay. Do it. But no, did you have something else you wanted to say? Yeah, if if the if one of the Tau that's defending the horde gets killed or injured, will it 
made friend and member of this uh, big family, but would that be like, oh, an acceptable loss, we leave you behind? Well, okay, so that's interesting. Um, so in, hu in, in human history, we, the, 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 the first regarded notion of civilization by, uh, I'm gonna forget her name, but she's an incredible anthropologist, um, uh, is, is the evidence of the first time that we found early humans who had a healed bone. Uh, and that is evidence that when this human being fell, broke their bone, that there was then um, there was then a society around them that took care of him. While when, when he couldn't feed himself, they fed him, uh, that protected him, and carried him with them as they traveled. So, so if we if, if if you think about that as a building block for civilization, I would think that the Tao would be the same in that you don't you don't benefit from acceptable losses um, just as much as you don't benefit from cannibalism. Um, cannibalism eventually runs your numbers down, uh, uh, and and leaving your injured uh, to be an acceptable loss, um, that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't promulgate a, a, a working civilization. You need to take care of your numbers. So perhaps in the early days, the notions of uh, acceptable losses were were there. Um, at the same time, I think that the 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 sentient part of the Tao race. Um, would have had to eventually realize that 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 saving wounded individuals is extremely important to, for the benefit of society, and we know later on, uh, once the Tao become an interstellar empire, that they do take very they, they too take care of their elderly, um, probably more so than, than than even the Eldar. So, does that uh, does that answer your question? Yes, I didn't want to rob any time of the other guy. Thank you for giving me the speaking time and goodbye. See, I'll Absolutely. see you later yeah, no. with my next question. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, boss man, I'm gonna I'm gonna invite you. Oh, oh, and he's oh, he's weird. I'm already here. Oh, oh, there you are. Okay, cool. Boss man, go for it. All right. So I just wanted to say a bit about how uh, the Tau as a prey species, how it would affect them. Uh, just. Not only biologically, but psychologically, because humans, um, they're endurance hunters. That's That was the niche that we evolved in, especially when we started figuring, figuring out things like spears. Sure, that deer is faster than us, but it can't keep up that speed forever. And when it runs out of breath, we are still fully capable of running after it. And I think that has created determination and stubbornness as a sort of prized human trait. This um, the, this sense of both mental and physical endurance. For, for Tao, who are uh, a prey species where the safety of the herd is such a priority, mm -hmm. I feel like the trait we would see especially heightened or glorified would be vigilance. It would be the but both the physical, uh, both in like a physical way and a mental way. Like, as far as physical goes, we would probably see the Tau evolve with diurnal and nocturnal members. Like, some humans are naturally night owls, or and the the reason for that, at least the hypothetical reason, is that it was meant for night watches, so that different people could be awake at different times and watch over the safety of an entire group of humans. 
for the Tau, that would probably be even more pronounced. And as for, like, psychology, we would see Tau as a, as a very detail-oriented species, a species that prizes the ability to never overlook something, the ability to see every tiny bit of a, of a landscape, to, to spot every predator, to spot every solution, to spot every problem. Yeah, no. That uh, so attention to detail in place of stubbornness. That's 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 interesting. And I mean, obviously, in other uh, in other examples of like, let, and then perhaps this conversation can move to uh, Tao culture. Is that we do know that the Tao are nocturnal. By uh, they're, they're voluntarily nocturnal. Um, they spend a lot of their uh, waking time in in their in their at least at least the, the Tao of the homeworld uh, would have remained. Uh, very much like how the Spaniards um, stop working at the middle of the day because it's too hot to work. We know the Tau are nocturnal, perhaps both by by the fact that the planet, it, uh, their their homeworld was too hot during the day, or also by the fact that they had to be vigilant at night um, when when predators came out. Um, of, of course, that also lends to the idea that they see further into the infrared, um, which would give them a kind of pseudo night vision. Um, um, yeah, no, all 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 really good points, and and again brings up really interesting design things like uh, the Tau, for example, don't regard uh, standing your ground as as heroic. Um, the the signs of a bad commander are a last stand. Uh, instead, the Tau, when they don't think that they can win in a certain area, they leave. You know, um, uh, which which is it brings up permanence as a as a concept psychologically for the Tau. Human beings, you know, I think that. We likely develop this notion of, you know, that Bossman, what you're talking about, this notion of stubbornness. Um, we we probably associate that as well as like when we started moving into caves, like you have to stop the threat at the at the mouth of the cave, otherwise it's going to get in and it's going to massacre your people. Uh, versus the Tau, which is their migratory. Um, if there's a predator here, we'll just start moving away, you know, and eventually, you know, and eventually we'll get to safety. Um, there are exceptions, obviously, um, and, and the civilization does at, at certain points need to stand its ground, otherwise it will lose something really valuable. Uh, for example, Dalith. Um, but we have dozens of examples of the Tau just not having any permanence. It's like, yeah, okay, we, we're not going to win, you know, the, the Imperial uh, Guard has set up a bunch of trenches here. Okay, well, let's not fight them there, you know, let's, let's go somewhere else, um, especially with the, the Battle of Taros. Um, where they attack the shipping and and, re, and resupply lines um, rather than engage directly where the Imperials wanted them to engage. So we can see examples all over the place of how um, where the Tau psychology is just fundamentally different from uh, from uh, from the human from the human race. And I think that's uh, I think one of the one, one of the well the fact of that psychology is what makes uh, Farsight as interesting a character as he is, because he is a character who has this sort of sense of ruthlessness that psychologically speaking Tao should barely ever have. And I, I don't mean ruthlessness in a in a necessarily bad way. Uh, to quote uh, a different sci-fi property that is an entire other can of worms, I'm not getting into it right now, but people think ruthlessness is is a decidedly evil trait. It's not. It's about seeing that glowing line from point A to point B and not caring about anything else but the fact that that line is there. Hmm. And I think that it's 
it's this very decisive, I am going to win and nothing is going to stop me energy of Farsight mm-hmm. that I think we, we as humans emphasize a lot with, whereas Tao are much more confused, much more shocked by it because it's a, it's a much more human cultural attitude than what we would naturally expect of the Tao. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, Farsight. We're gonna, we're gonna dedicate an entire episode to Farsight. He's definitely a fan favorite. Um, but yeah, I think that there. To summarize very quickly, I do think Farsight is an adaptation to the Tau to the greater galaxy. I think the, I think that the Tau who witnessed the uh, Damocles Crusade and then fought to retake uh, the area lost. Which is really the first time that that ever happens for the for the Commonwealth or the Empire, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, and I think that I think that they the the enclaves and and Oshova specifically. Um, I think that I think that they are the adaptation that incorporates ruthlessness, um, which 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 belies the kind of naivete that the the tower kind of kind of unfortunately have based on the fact that they're in the Warhammer 40k universe um naivete is going to get killed um but cool cool um so I think that uh oh thank you bossman by the way um yeah thank you appreciate it um I'm gonna put you back in the audience um I think that this is a good place to close with just the opening years of uh the opening years of the of the of the Commonwealth. Um, Before we do that, I think yeah. I think has oh, one yeah. thing. Sure. Come on up to the stage, by Steve. Addy. If he's there. Uh, yeah, regarding what you said earlier about the the hunters, what Bossman said. Basically, we weren't endurance hunters; we were ambush hunters. Mm. And that's what we did, basically, because we knew we couldn't outrun them, but we studied the creatures we were hunting and then laid traps. And this is also exactly how we do it in modern times. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same thing. You have gun nests for, uh, for killing deer. You have the exact same things for boars and hogs. You have the dogs that you send in if you want to trap foxes and stuff like that. You just run them until they get tired, and then you set a trap, and then you kill them. And running off mammoths off a cliff was exactly that. It was a well-laid trap, and they ambushed it. I do. I've I've read I've read examples of both, and I do think it's I do think that the refinement of the human race in terms of how we hunt things or even our psychology comes from. I have heard that we were that that in Africa, for example, we were endurance hunters that we could just kind of. Just yeah. constantly chasing like out. So, into a very specific kind of territory. For sure, sure. Yeah, when, exactly. I think that as you that's get that's not specific. That's not uh, that's not indicative of a whole. But yes, that is an adaptation. Well, right. the thing is with the ambush hunters versus the endurance hunters is the ambush hunting didn't really come until we had come. Until people had become those hunter-gatherers, where they started to form these societies where they could plan to set up traps and all of that. The endurance hunting is before, way long before we even had 
necessarily wet like working with metals and working with tools because with the endurance it was our our bodies are specifically built for it with our the shape of our legs our reinforced our amount of increased muscle um in our in our butts all of this helps support our frame over long distances with the shape of our lungs. Um, you see a similar thing in uh, Verandae, which are our monitor lizards. With They are also endurance hunters, and the structure of their legs and their lungs are very similar to how ours are. Um, and they... I'm, I'm not saying that we didn't do ambush. Oh, we didn't do endurance. I'm not, I'm not saying that we didn't do ambush. I'm just saying it went from endurance hunters to ambush predators. Exactly. But we That's still what did I'm a mixture of both. It's, and it's also if the uh, sort of like if the land or the terrain allows you to, it's better for you to do ambush hunting because you conserve more energy. Sure. You can hunt for a long, longer period of time. Right. So you know what? I would actually. I just looked at the clock, and we've been we've been going pretty strong for about ninety minutes. So, um, uh, so something that I'd like to thank you, Biotic, by the way. Um, something that um, I just want to bring up uh, that it was as Biotic and Redrix were talking about this. If you look at Kon, the 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 military tactic um, that the Firecast employs, it just occurred to me that um, when you when you see how it's set up that it's an ambush, right? And we incorporate that with the notion of like, okay, they must have been hunters. But um, but if you look at Kayon, it, it also incorporates the need of a lure, um, that, they're at the, that, that there is supposed to be an element of the Tau that, that, get, that attracts what they're hunting and brings them in, and then these two arms flank and ambush uh, the prey. But it just occurred to me, this is just another example of how they could have been, or they, sh they are defensive hunters because how else are you going to have a lure unless you are hunting something that's a predator? Like, it, it becomes really obvious to me that, that there, again, there are just multiple levels of why the Tau uh, start as a prey species. Because, you know, if you're hunting, I don't know, a, a woolly mammoth, the woolly mammoth isn't going to, uh, you know, go in and 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 try to eat a human being, right? Like that, that that's just I mean, that's not how that's that's not how it would work. But if you were hunting, let's say, a lion, yeah, you'd have your fastest runner be the lure, be the bait, and then you would and then you would attack uh, from 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 all sides and use strength of numbers. Anyway, just another thing that that kind of occurred to me. So, um, so what I'd like to close with is like really these, and we're going to go back to uh, just a little bit of, uh, of what ends up uh, rising out of this culture. You have a unified Tau species, and this takes, uh, this takes place over the course of, the, there is a minor retcon. Um, it originally was supposed to be over the course of 2,000 years. You have, uh, you have the, the Tau unifying and then pushing into, into space eventually. Um, more recently, it seems like that that's been narrowed down to a thousand years. Um, take your pick. It 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 it, it kind of it, it in the grand scheme of things, it's okay if it's a little bit vague. But in this race that that then 
colonizes Louvral, discovers a warp engine, and creates a skip drive uh, or an ether drive. Uh, you have your first contact event that happens with the Nikasar on the edge of the town's uh, the Tau system, and you have the first um, uh, realization by <clears throat> excuse me by the by the uh, by the Tau uh, government that they exist inside of this stellar cluster. Now, the thing about living inside a stellar cluster is that while the stars are close, um, the 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 opportunity for something to go wrong, like let's say like a uh, let's like a supernova, um, will will actually just wipe out the whole your whole neighborhood. So the Tau realized that the best way to survive is to expand quickly, and this is talked about extensively in the Battlefleet Gothic books. That the Tau realized that expansion is the only way that they will be able to survive. So. This brings them into their first contact with, um, with the orcs because they, they discover a planet called Ta which they'll name Taun, um, um, and with with these early ether drives, it was about two uh, about a month and a half uh, away from Tau itself. It took an enormous amount of effort on behalf of the Tau because first they had to set up way stations. Um, which they then used to, uh, basically what happens is that like at each point where you have a skip, you would set up a way station. And so the Tau first had to create a network using slow ships um, before they, can, they could then use the more advanced ether drive to get there. At around this time, they now they, they've had their first contact conflict with the Nikasar, so they have weapons. Um, at this point, they are using uh, gravitic, uh, uh, gravitic fields um, which it would imply that they uh, this is around the same time that they would have invented railgun technology. Um, and what they do is uh, they first try to negotiate with the orcs as they do, but under Warlord Skarsgrad, uh, they uh, they enter into a full-on conflict. And this is kind of the first uh, example of 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 like kind of all-out stellar warfare. They don't win as handedly as they did against the Nikasar. Uh, the orcs, if you can believe it, are regarded as being more technologically advanced than the, advanced than them with better shields, um, and the Tau have to aggressively engage with them, um, and and will continue to do so uh, all the way up until the third sphere before the 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 stellar cluster is finally kind of rid of the green screen uh, green skin threat at least internally. So that happens in uh, the Talon colonization happens in uh, 756 millennium 37. So that's 2,000 years after uh, the Tau discovery by the Adeptus Mechanicus. So it is a pretty quick uh, time period, but it's not it's not as fast as I think people usually say. Like people always say, like they're, they they hyper evolved. I I don't think so. If you look at the Tau, they have a, a lifespan between uh, about 40 and 60 years. Um, they have an, ex an, an incredibly fast gestation period. Uh, I believe I believe it's said to be between like four and five months. Um, they are, they, 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 uh, they, they get through their adolescent period very quickly, I believe two years. Um, and, and again, this, this kind of, this aligns very closely with a, with a prey speech. I mean, like, you know, if you look at Buffalo, for example, or, or cows, um, uh, a baby has to learn how to walk within the first hour, I think, of, of them being born. Um, 
So if, if, you, if you take that into consideration, 40 to 60 years, then the turnover rate of generations is, is, is incredibly uh, fast. And if they're unified, um, then, I mean, look at our own race. We are not unified, but we have gotten into space and we have advanced technologies and everything. If we were all working together with a, with a unified sense of purpose, we would also make much, much faster progress. So I, I, I don't ever really think that the, the abnormal evolutionary adaptation is, is, is that abnormal. I think it actually makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, either way, uh, the colonization of town uh, takes several years um, and it, is, uh, it, it becomes a fully uh, fledged sept. Um, a sept is is an independent uh, uh, governing. Uh, think of it as almost like a uh, a nation state um, with its own sense of culture and its own uh, and its own uh, trajectory in terms of like its own leadership. Um, that takes place about two hundred years after in five o two millennium thirty eight. Uh, yes, uh, at the start of millennium thirty eight, um, and and that. Uh, promulgates the beginning of the first sphere, um, and if you if we if we if we think about that as the beginning of the Tau Commonwealth, I think that that's a great place to start during uh, next week's episode. Um, so that's it for the the Tau talk today. Thank you so much uh, uh, for coming. Uh, I don't think we need to uh, be in here anymore if we want to like have a more free-flowing conversation but before uh, we're done does anybody have any last notes or, or, or questions um, that they'd like to bring up uh, I'll just bring up what Kane was talking about in the text chat <coughs> um, he said the patient hunter gets the prey the very true it could be extremely ominous as that patient can or patients can extend to mass integration and mm -hmm. that that's a conversation for another day because as uh as i told him as a main note the tau are extremely patient because Absolutely. they don't necessarily care if they're the ones to see the result they're okay with it being the next generation or even several generations down the line mm -hmm. um i just wanted to mention that that was talked about something something that becomes really evident and this this actually comes from the fantasy flight uh uh death watch books which i recommend it's some of the best tough fluff out there um the tau don't regard all everything that is that, that seems to be like a problem for them if you look at it side by side with a human being while I think that there are a lot of communalities, I think that the Tao would be almost like it would when it comes to decision making, human beings would be weirded out by the Tao. The Tao don't see themselves uh, accomplishing things individually as uh, as something that they have to be concerned about. The passing on the torch to later generations is considered is considered like as as easy as breathing. Um, if you start. Um, if you start with like a building, for example, and you find out it's going to take a hundred years to complete, like a lot of human beings might be daunted by the fact, like or or fright or even frightened by like like, what's the I'm wasting my life building something I'm never going to see. Um, I'll bring up in my personal life when I was in college, uh, they were building uh, and spending enormous amounts of money uh, on uh, on a on a new library, and the senior class of which I was a part of 
uh, like would routinely balk and complain and argue and you know even throw garbage at the construction site uh, because it was something we were paying for but we were never going to enjoy. Um, that is, and obviously there are exceptions. Um, there, the 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 cathedrals of Europe uh, have a lot of history of like people being very proud of being being able to you know a, a mason for example would pass on his tools to his son who would take up being a mason again. Um, uh, I think that. I think that if you, if, but, but, but by and large, I think that we don't like the idea of not being able to witness the fruits of our labor. The Tao are the exact opposite. Just as what Redrick said um, just now, the Tao are extremely patient and the notion of passing on the torch is, is like kind of the whole reason to be alive, you know? Um, which we'll probably get into in a future episode. Yeah, I was like, that's, that's, that's its own episode on the psychological aspects of how the Tao operate within the modern days. Um, yeah. we're, I'm going to take this one last question from Cosmonaut Kane, and then we will definitely just sign off for that one, because we're about to hit an hour and 45. So if you want to hop on up, Kane. Hey, Kane. All right. Hello again. So, uh, just a note on the thing you said that the Tao's patience extends to like the passing on of the torch thing and how humanity is very focused on seeing results now. I will say I half agree, half disagree. Because I'd say, but the part I agree is it's looking at a very modern age. Everything is very uh, instant gratification based. Mm -hmm. uh, life moves very, very fast and we can get things done extremely quickly where something like a long-term project could be viewed as anything from like five to 10 years. and. If you were to think about it uh, in ages past, long ago, like something like the building of a, a cathedral or a temple, like that's that's decades and decades of work, and that's a long-term project. And if you were to look at an old Greek proverb, one of my favorites, uh, a successful, uh, it's a successful society is one that plants olive trees knowing they'll never sit in its shade, but the yeah. future generations will. And in a way that sort of harkens back to how life was, although not exactly, but a general mindset that existed with humanity long ago is that, yes, we there is an element of setting up things for future generations so that the whole may, well, the whole of humanity or our society will progress to higher heights than we could ever dream. But rather, today moves with such speed that higher heights can be achieved very quickly and our mindset as a whole has almost become why can't we do it faster if we can already do other things so quickly why not this and why not that and we just it just sort of spirals out of control we can it's like we can no longer wait for olive trees to grow we can make them grow right now why don't we try and then we get frustrated by it yeah but, oh. I'll, uh, okay. I'll say that, Kane, you've absolutely corrected me. Yes. I think ancient human beings probably were way more patient. Um, and I do just reflect on our own modern humanity. Oh, oh you've got it. Uh, I, 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 yes, uh, uh, Cosmonaut, I, I, I think you're, you're 100% right. Um, but now imagine that the Tao never let go of that sense of patience when, when society started becoming quicker and faster and things were able to be done uh, much more economically at, you know, at light speed, as it were. Um, imagine if they, if, if humanity held on to that sense of patience, that it's okay 
you know, a lot of people, I, I hear it all the time, I'm, I'm you know, in, in, in the jobs that I work, like people worry that they haven't accomplished enough by the time they're in their 20s, their 30s, you know, by the time you're in your 40s, if you haven't reached certain milestones, like you, you've, you've kind of like you've had a failure of a life, by 50, you should have grant, you know, like there's, there's all sort of sorts of these artificial things that we've put on ourselves in order to, to have maximized the decades that we're alive. Imagine if we had a society that was patient and understood that you can't accomplish everything that you want in your own life, that it will have to be picked up by the next generation, not even your own children, just the next generation. I feel like, I feel like we would, we would have such less stress and anxiety in ourselves. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I love the Tao so much is that they're, they're pragmatic to the point of even, even death does not really frighten them in the same ways that it does us that they know that their their works will be continued and all of the effort that they that they put into something it is it, it has a value unto itself and that's that's why the tao don't regard their laborers as as uh, as menials you know um, they don't regard the ethereals as uh, gods um, and they don't and they certainly don't think that uh, the races that they're associated with and, and are somehow less than you know um a lot of people say that the tao you know use their auxiliaries as like almost slave troops right and, and are just designed to be bullet magnets or, or soak up soak up bullets um when that's not the case we know that even in their drone intelligences who who are ai they're programmed for self-preservation pre uh, pre ah, i can't say it uh keep themselves alive <laughs> um and that and that's 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 that for me that's a fundamental sign uh that the tao uh do value life uh, no matter what it is and and again for me that that is the signs that they at some point in their in their primordial past they were part of a herd ecosystem where there were you know bigger animals that did this smaller animals did that did that and the tao were somewhere in the middle and they just inherently understand the that the the value of anything is the sum of its parts rather than rather than kind of like the objective so so i think that that's a good place to stop um uh again thank you thank you so much for coming uh i really like this new system i hope i hope everybody else does as well i'm going to spend a little bit of time in the meeting room our old place where we used to where we used to meet up and uh, I will, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a rush to edit this episode down, but I'm really excited. Um, I'm glad that this was our first one. Thank you so much for, uh, for uh, Tau40,000 um, and Bree Cheese for letting us, uh, letting us do this here. And uh, thank you, Redrix, uh, for helping me out. Um, it, it, it's much easier with somebody reading the, the text. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. awesome. Thanks so much.